Hello, and welcome back to the Real Professional Podcast, the podcast where air quotes real professionals talk to non-air quotes real professionals. Uh, we got a full house for you today, so it's going to be a good one. And uh, we got Eric Cleaver from Tencent. He's here to talk to us about uh, PUBG. There's been some new, new developments in PUBG. And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm mostly just curious to find out how uh, the, the virus has been affecting the moods of people in online play. So we're going to be finding out about that here in a second. So DJ, drop that sick beat. All right, hello, welcome back. As I said, uh, we actually have a full house today. We got uh, Jesse and Remy back with us again. They both have recovered very nicely from their various illnesses. How are you guys doing? Doing well. Recovering from our various illnesses. Well, you had a foot surgery, and Remy had the social illness of, uh, of friends in town. Mm. Yes, yes. I, I had to play host to a whole bunch of people using my place, and for a second there, it looked like they might stay longer because of this whole shutdown. A terrible right, pest- right. pestilence, indeed. <laughs> How'd you end up kicking them out? Uh, well, you know, uh, all that needed to happen was all the bars and restaurants in L.A. to close, and then all of a sudden, they didn't need to stay in L.A. anymore. <laughs> There's nothing keeping them here. I was like, hey, you can still hang out with me, and they're like, well, no, 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 thanks. We're, we're <laughs> flying out. I told them, you're going to be quarantined for eight hours, and they said, we're, it's worth it. It's worth wow. it. Owned. <laughs> Owned. Oh, and then uh, we're here with Eric Cleaver, who uh, does the tweets for for Tencent. How are you staying, man? Are you staying safe? Uh, yeah, everything is uh, going fairly smoothly. You know, uh, things are, of course, a little bit uh, disrupted in the San Francisco Bay Area. But, uh, you know, we're all doing the best that we can. Oh, is that where you're located is in San Francisco? Yes, our office is in uh, Palo Alto, which is just outside San Francisco. Yeah. So, uh it's um, you know a little bit of a challenge here, but uh, you know, again, we just do the best we can, try and stay safe, stay healthy, uh, you know, be considerate of our uh, fellows. Yeah, yeah, I went to school at Berkeley, so I'm familiar with the area. So, uh, big question is, when you're trying to practice social distancing, do you also uh, through social media have to practice parasocial distancing, or is that already something you're familiar with? Uh. You know, one of the great things about PUBG Mobile is it allows us to come together and it allows us <laughs> to come together all over the world in a not physical way. Uh, so uh, it's pretty uh, pretty good in terms of, you know, being able to, you know, unite and connect with one another. That's one of the big things we're focusing on with our second year anniversary. Mm-hmm. The ability of, you know, online gaming to bring people together around the world. So. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a whole bunch of stories coming out about that, and uh, there couldn't be a better time. Okay, so actually, this is this is getting into the meat of kind of the conversation already, uh, aside from my stupid jokes about uh, global pandemics, uh, just brushing those aside very quickly. Um, PUBG Mobile is, is a game that uh, a lot of people really, really like, because it does seem to be one of the, uh, the better... So, and one of the better, I mean, that there's that's like leaps and bounds above the next like tier of goodness of the the kind of the mobile games that are out there in the market right now. And I remember back when a a wave of PUBG clones were coming out on mobile. I don't know if anyone remembers this, but there was this time where basically like 
15 mobile shooters were coming out that were all just like clones of PUBG. I'm thinking like maybe Remy, when was this? Must have been 2017, 2018. Yeah, I was I was still hammered at the time, so I don't really remember specifics too well. But I just know that like a lot of people were. But that's probably around the time um, that a lot of these clones were coming out. And uh, you know, when PUBG Mobile finally did come out, um, my my first question is, what was it like trying to get that audience on board? Do you feel like these games? took a lot of the audience that PUBG eventually uh, re- tried to reclaim, or do you feel like it kept the genre alive in the mobile space until PUBG was able to kind of come in? So uh, it's really, really interesting because on a global scale, uh, it's very, very different. So, uh, you know, I don't, of course, uh, have too much inside information on, on uh, Blue Hole's version of PUBG, but... Uh, you know, when I talk to fans around the world, outside of, you know, sort of the West, uh, gaming really is about mobile. They didn't necessarily have as much of a PC gaming phase or a console gaming phase. So most of the gamers that, uh, you know, we interact with are mobile first gamers. And so PUBG Mobile was their first interaction with PUBG for them. Now, uh, in North America, in, you know, parts of Western Europe, in, uh, China, uh, there's much more of a PC gaming culture. But, uh, so what it really creates is two whole different communities coming together. People who love PUBG and people who love mobile gaming and therefore love PUBG Mobile, uh, joining together instead of it just being, oh, I've, familiar with PUBG from the PC, now I'm going to pick it up on the phone. But with the competition in that space, uh, like I was saying, is that because the mobile gaming market uh, tends to be a lower barrier of entry for certain developers, there's a lot of games that kind of like flood out on that market. And I was kind of asking, have you, as a community, like, have you seen that the community is more livened by this competition, or is it more of a situation where you're trying to it's, it's harder to wrench players away from the other games. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's a little bit of, uh, a little bit of both. I think that the pro- proliferation of games in this space really helped create more of an audience for PUBG Mobile when we launched, you know, uh, at the same time, there's, you know, a number of established competitors who, uh, do very, very well. And so, uh, I always like to say that competition makes us stronger because we have to do better. Uh, it's really easy if you're the only game in town to sort of rest on your laurels. We can't do that. And our goal is to provide sort of the best experience so that, you know, we're giving everybody every reason to come uh, join with us. Um, but, you know, it certainly didn't help that there were some games that are very similar to uh, PUBG Mobile that came out uh, earlier because that helped create the initial audience. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I could definitely. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, then, kind of the the follow up to that question is, you you kind of mentioned when you're doing this the first part of the spiel that you don't have a lot of uh, insight into Blue Hole's version. Uh, what are like the, the substantive differences in like the, the development and the implementation of the uh, PC client side PUBG versus the PUBG mobile? So the PC and console versions of PUBG are, are developed by Bluehole. Uh, 
Um, we work very closely with them. I actually had a call with them just the other day talking about some things we're cooperating on. But uh, they they own the IP uh, and they uh, drive the IP. Uh, we create uh, PUBG Mobile, uh, which is, of course, the mobile version, um, which is using their IP. Uh, so we work closely with them on, you know, things we want to add because uh, we've added a number of things that uh, only exist in our version. Uh, but we also, you know, work with them on taking learnings and features that they've implemented and then translating them over as appropriate to the mobile version. So, for example, uh, they just released the Karakin map, or I believe they've released it, uh, but they yeah, announced I it. I think it, was out in, I think it was out in 6.2 or something like yeah, that. Yeah, so... You know, we have to take a look at that map and say, how does this apply to mobile? Because obviously the devices don't perform the same. Um, we have to think about optimization and things like that. So we're going to uh, trail behind in some of the features that are sort of native to the PC version. But I know our customers are very interested to see what our plans are on that. Now, that's obviously something that we haven't announced yet, but uh, we're paying attention, guys. No, yeah, I mean, I get it. It's in the, the, the performance issue is going to be a big question. It's not like the PC version is being created, especially if it's by a different company, with, like, I wonder if this map is okay to run on a phone. Like, they're just going to be creating the things that they create, and you're going to have to be the ones figuring out the workarounds. Yeah, I mean, you know, and there's, of course, things that we do that they don't. So we have our uh, arena modes and team deathmatch. We have... Uh, Right now, going on in game for our second anniversary, we have sort of a amusement park that you can visit in Erangel, uh that you know has video games and you know a sky launch uh, feature. Um, we recently did a mode which uh, was uh, you know focused for the winter. Uh, it added s- snowboard slopes and the ability to use snowboards in game. Um, you know, we have a uh, new mode coming out uh, later, probably in April. Uh, so uh, not too long from now uh, that we'll be talking about more in the future. So we're constantly adding things as well, specifically uh, designed for PUBG Mobile that uh, are more focused on that. But, you know, when it comes to uh, incorporating features from, from PC and, you know, sort of dealing with the different device requirements, I am absolutely amazed at what our team uh, is able to wring out of these mobile devices, uh, especially because we support a really, really wide uh, array of devices. So a couple months ago, we had an update and it broke iPod support. I'm, uh, yeah, iPod touch support. And so our players started saying, hey, the game's not playing it on iPod Touch anymore. And I was like, wait, iPod Touches are a thing? Um, right, exactly. That's just what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, you know, but we're talking about a game that runs on everything, you know, iPhone 6s, uh, very, very modest Android devices up to the current. And our team is amazing. I, I would, you know, I'm going to go ahead and say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, brag on them a little bit that uh, we probably work with the best mobile Unreal developers in the business. Uh, they are 
fantastic. And every time I'm like, well, that might be really hard. They're like, oh, yeah, we already got it done. So, uh, you know, I, I don't doubt for a minute there is anything they cannot do. Well, uh, to piggyback off that complaint, uh, the latest update made it so that it's not working very well on my 2003 Motorola Razor. Just want to throw that out there for the next update. <laughs> We're going to add our dedicated snake mode. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> Glad to hear it. I think I had one of those phones. Maybe it was 2005 model Razor flip phone. Uh, but yeah, wow, we have come an amazing distance in a yeah. very, very short period of time in terms of, you know, the type of gameplay. What a time uh, to be alive. It, I was it, just thinking, it is fantastic. I don't know, Jesse's stupid comment made me think, um, which is the first time that's happened. But uh, I was just thinking that it would be pretty funny if, uh, because all these games, not all these games, but there was like a period of time where a bunch of games were coming out that had mobile components of the game that would then implement something in the the console slash pc set i remember the division had something where you could like play as a drone you should implement something in pubg modal mobile where you can like play as a drone but only on the computer <laughs> that's a that's like a really really I, I love the asymmetrical gameplay uh you know that we've seen on some other devices uh you know, when I was working in PC games many, many moons ago, uh, we had talked a lot about, you know, social integration and social games that had an impact on, uh, you know, the PC games that I was working on. Uh, I think there's definitely a, a space for that. Um, you know, the, the question is, is, you know, again, because our audience is very, very, very global based, um, you know, uh, making sure that accessibility which is a big uh kick that we're on right now is uh there for our entire audience if we suddenly start requiring you know uh, other devices pcs to participate in aspects of the game how does that impact you know our players as a whole yeah no that makes sense definitely um do they have live gambling for pubg yet like pubg mobile like so somewhere can like you can like if you're watching the esports you can bet on who's gonna win is that a thing? Uh, so uh, we do some in-game, not gambling, but, you know, contests where you can pick winners. Um, we really, really try to avoid uh, any sort of the controversial stuff like the live gambling. So that's something we absolutely don't encourage, but it happens. Yeah, I'm not going to say not that you can integrate it into your servers. I'm just saying that because you're working with a worldwide market, it's not illegal everywhere. Yeah, definitely, definitely. But, you know, again, because we are, we tend to be a little bit more on the conservative side. Uh, right. It's the sort of thing we, we, we slap hands when we can. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's not what we want focused on. Although, uh, you know, I may have, uh, you know, made a, a side bet with a coworker uh, very informally uh, about who was going to win the uh, last world championship. <laughs> well, office schools, as far as I know, below a certain number of money is not illegal, at least in the state of California. Anyways, uh, yeah, no, I just was always kind of like curious about that because the when you're talking about the mobile gaming market, it's like significantly harder to regulate like who's playing from where than it is uh, oftentimes on on PC. And um, especially because uh, a lot of people in, in other countries are using, like, devices that, like, the, the regulation settings for them are, like, kind of all over the place. So 
I'm just always kind of curious how they they the the kind of uh, app security for the device across the the world must be like ridiculous. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, so you know, one of the themes that we've had for the last couple months actually is really really ramping up our security in terms of you know preventing uh, sort of unauthorized third party programs. But when you're talking about a game that's, you know, if not the most popular, one of the, you know, most popular games in the world, uh, 100 million monthly average users, um, security is a huge, huge deal for us. Uh, mm-hmm. We have an enormous team that's literally dedicated to nothing but security, uh, making sure that, you know, we're dealing with network conditions uh that vary wildly um it's not the same connecting to pubg mobile from you know uh let's say oceana as it is connecting from the u.s as it is connecting from china because the local network conditions are very very different and then when we talk about you know devices and a lot of these times these devices are made by local producers who have very very uh different ideas on you know how they're implementing everything um making sure that you know the device that the game runs and performs well and is reasonably secure uh all over the world is a big challenge but you know i mean this is a good problem to have i'd much rather have the problem of hey you guys have a ton of customers and you know people are loving your game and playing your game all over the world uh, and there's lots of different things going on rather than nobody's playing. That's a harder problem to solve. Yeah, I, I, you're kind of having the problems of plenty here, of course. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I could never complain. Too many people love my game. <laughs> yeah, but I must imagine it must be like uh, really difficult to manage a community of that size. It is. You know, uh, we have... Uh, you know, official communication channels and, you know, I think there's something like, I want to say 21, but at least 17 languages, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we have, uh, players in almost, uh, every country in the world. We have, you know, huge representations on every continent except Antarctica. And I wouldn't be shocked if somebody at the research station there was playing, uh, you know, uh, so it's the macro, uh, the macro communities, you know, and a lot of what we do is work with influencers because, you know, influencers reach out to so many more people and have so much more uh, personal connections than we can on a level. Uh, but, you know, I mean, again, this is a good problem to have, you know, uh, we read every single comment that comes in on social and for every post, that's thousands of comments. Uh, we're not going to obviously be able to respond to that many, uh, but we are doing our best to, you know, communicate, even if it's not necessarily on a one-to-one level very often. Every single comment? Every single comment. Do you, do you like archive them and categorize them into like, there's, is there any AI that like helps you not develop mental illnesses from just trolling through Twitter all day? Like the, that 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 seems unnecessarily cruel. Well, we have we have a pretty pretty good sized 
community teams for all the different languages. So, you know, uh, we also employ, uh, or not employ, because employ is a bad word here in California, but uh, we uh, work with a number of volunteers. It's great to have this sort of partnership where we can, you know, say, uh, work with a great Reddit moderation team, uh, you know, or work with, uh, you know, our Discord mods who are all volunteers or volunteers on social who just help us comb through just the vast, uh, you know, sea of commentary. I, I think I was looking at our main uh, English uh, Instagram, which has about eight and a half million followers. We get mentioned about every four seconds. My God. But again, that's good problems to mentions. have. Can't complain. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you: What as would you say that you're the top of this uh, this army of uh, of social outreach? Uh, for the global channels, I am at the uh, sort of the top. Uh, you know, uh, all sort of the uh, community stuff filters up into me. Uh, I advise many of our regional teams, um, but we give them a lot of autonomy because. Really, the conditions all over the world are very different. What's interesting in social uh, in, say, Vietnam might not be entirely one to one similar with, uh, you know, what's interesting to an English speaking audience. Uh, same thing when it comes to art, you know, uh, there's different art assets and, you know, esports becomes very, very regional at sort of the granular bottom level, uh, you know. Where, you know, we're going to have our Southeast Asia championship. That's more interesting to audiences which speak the languages spoken in Southeast Asia. You know, when it gets up to the higher level of competition, then we want to bring it out to a more global audience. So let me ask you this. What, what is your day-to-day activities? I mean, uh, are you checking in on each different sort of regional office to ensure that they're doing it? Are you reading, like, reports and data coming your way about uh, uh, whether or not you're your outreach is positive towards people. Uh, well, what are your major concerns? Uh, the communities I focus on the most are global community, which is English speaking. Uh, I directly manage that and work with our te- content team and our feedback teams and our player engagement teams to help uh, with that communication. I also uh, work directly with our Portuguese and Spanish speaking teams Um you know, that's a much more direct uh, communication when it comes to sort of the other teams. Uh, you know, it is sharing schedules, sharing our uh, strategy, uh, working on cross promoting content that's interesting to, uh, you know, more than more regions than just uh, local. So, for example, our India team produced a great web series uh you know, about PUBG mobile stories and, you know, sort of the semi-documentary where we invited our influencers to actually help act out uh, some of these stories that were, uh, you know, created. So uh, I I think it's the true gaming genre. Uh, It's going to be a big hit in the future. Uh, But, you know, so I worked with them on sharing that out. And, you know, I also work with our uh, HQ teams out of our offices in Shenzhen to, uh, you know, help establish schedules and communication cadences. But most of the regional teams, uh, they, uh, again, act fairly auto- autonomously. 
because there's just too much information, too much going on for any one team to handle it uh, themselves. You know, we, we focus on the macro rather than the micro. When it, it comes to globalized feedback, uh, I help coordinate the gathering of that, you know, but again, we have, you know, seven broad regions that all contribute, you know, hundreds or thousands of items of feedback. So it's helping the coordination and delivery of that to our operations and development teams. Very interesting. Very interesting. And how much, uh, how much do you work with other sections of Tencent or PUBG mobile to, uh, operate this sort of a games as service or games as community, uh, uh, perspective that you guys have for PUBG? Do you, do you, uh, partner up with any other studios to work with, uh, them on these kind of projects or is it mostly you being the, the person giving out answers when people have questions? Uh, it's uh, a little bit. So Tencent actually has this really robust like employee sharing and teaching educational uh, program. So I've gone back to HQ and presented on, you know, more Western social media and Western social media strategy, how to conceptualize uh, some of these things. Uh, I work with the uh, global Tencent gaming uh, social team, and we talk a lot, uh, share learnings. I work with uh, some other projects, um, depending, you know, uh, the there's a lot of departments in groups. So uh, right now, one of the things I'm working with is talking to a uh, new service that Tencent is developing and what's social strategy and how can we, you know, uh, you know, help boost one another and stuff like that. So there is a lot of internal uh, communication, but Tencent's a really, really huge company. So, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure I'm only interacting with a small fraction of it. Very cool. Very cool. You know, it's, it's interesting in that, you know, if you go uh, outside the U S to anywhere in Asia, you know, you say Tencent people, instantly know what you're talking about but here in the west tencent's just starting to make its its presence felt so um it, i've always like okay so when you're talking about like tencent trying to come into the west it's it's largely i think based on the the differences in like the the user base like what you were saying is that for PUBG Mobile especially, a lot of the, the people that are playing it are like mobile first gamers, and you're not going to have the same kind of community reaction to a new mobile game in uh, the United States that you are in a lot of these other countries, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's been a little bit different. So, you know, people always ask me, what's the difference between mobile gamers and PC gamers and console gamers? I actually presented about this a couple years ago at uh, GDC. And the All short right, answer is, is it's uh, more about the game than it is about the platform. So, you know, here in the West, we think of, you know, mobile games, we're thinking about really short session time, you know, something you play for three to five minutes and you're done. Uh, you know, you're going to come back and maybe play it three, five minutes a little bit later. Um, that produces sort of one type of relationship with customers. When you talk about a deep engaging game like PUBG Mobile, you know, the community actually responds a lot more like what we would traditionally expect from a, uh, you know, a PC or a console game. You know, we're talking about really long session times. We're talking about 
a really long relationship with customers. People stay playing PUBG Mobile for a really, really long time. Uh, I think it's because it's a great game, but you know, uh, so you get a, a community response that is much more similar to, again, what we would see in a uh, PC or console game. Um, in America, people are like, oh, you know, mobile games. Um, there's some really, really popular memes that I'm sure you guys are all familiar with. You know, uh, Dr. Disrespect saying, yeah. you know, uh, mobile games aren't real games. Um, and I mean, that's just silly. And I get it. You know, he's ro- he's rocking his shtick and he does it well and I, all respect to him. But the reality is, is it doesn't matter what uh, device uh, you play a game on. It's about the game you're playing. Um, and America's starting to wake up to that. You know, uh, when uh, my daughter plays games, she doesn't play games on a uh, console or a PC. She just plays on mobile. Uh, now, she's not like a super hardcore gamer. Uh, I think my son is going to be the opposite. He uh, really, really, really likes games from a really young age. Um, you know, and there's going to be experiences that he will probably want on a uh, PC or a console, uh, and that's cool. But there's also experiences that mobile just works better on. If I want to play PUBG on a beach, um, it's really, really bad idea for me to whip out the laptop. You know, mm-hmm. if I want to play PUBG mobile, I can play it anywhere I want. And that's huge, especially because, you know, I'm getting to be a little bit of an older guy. I have kids. Uh, you know, when I'm at the uh, high school, uh, you know, choir concert and my daughter's not performing, I'm one of those terrible parents who's like, ooh, well, maybe I'm going to hot drop on, uh, you know, Pachinki <laughs> and see if I can uh, rack up some kills. That's funny. I like that a lot. <laughs> yeah, um, so I think this is actually an area where the American uh, gaming market will mature quite a bit. You know, uh, in other ways, we have a very mature gaming market, but we're just starting to get uh, mobile because we've had such a wealth of options. No, I mean, that makes sense. Remy, go ahead. Yeah, I wanted to ask, so uh, a lot of people used to think that, especially for people who were going to mobile, they weren't as, uh, uh, you know, familiar is not the right word, but mature is also kind of like a, a, a punch and down word. I don't mean that at all, but they weren't as mature as other people who were raised on, like, from, from an early age, NES to SNES uh, to Nintendo 64, had seen this medium evolve over time. For a lot of people, like you say mobile games were their first games and uh about 10 years ago that meant you know uh very sort of clicky uh facebook games that wanted you to blue coin uh, a lot of money towards them the idea was is that they would mature and they would uh, understand more experiences and then demand a higher quality experience uh instead of sort of like you know the same thing over and over and over again uh in terms of what the mobile users demand of PUBG. are you seeing that uh there's a lot of like a demand for innovation from their end uh compared to sort of like the 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 pc or console market uh at this point i would say for most gamers uh there is a high degree of parity uh what charts really well in the u.s is not necessarily reflective of what charts well internationally in terms of mobile games there's a number of really really excellent 
high quality, triple A, every bit as good as, uh, you know, anything you could find on a PC or console available on mobile. And I think PUBG Mobile is a great, great example of that. Um, when I look at the competitive level of PUBG Mobile, these guys are every bit as good, every bit is you know, strategic as the guys on PC or console. Aside from, you know, the, uh, you know, mobile or console or uh, PC specific features uh, or, you know, branding that's there, or the UI is slightly different. You can't tell the difference watching them play. Uh, there's, you know, some slight differences. Mobile tends to have a little bit more, uh, you know, shorter range gunfighting, uh, you know, but. You know, these guys are, you know, snapping to sniper shots like nobody's business in ways that, uh, you know, having the speed and the technical fluency of gameplay is the same. And so, you know, these people are just as demanding when it comes to, like, the kinds of games they want. They, you know, they want good games. It doesn't matter the platform. People want good games to play. Everybody's basically the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... In terms of uh, community management, what kind of uh, demands do you have from player side there? Are you guys more responsive to to how players are acting in the community or what they're saying? Or are you guys trying to uh, nudge them towards uh, interacting in specific ways, perhaps a little more positively than negatively, for instance? Well, you know, as a community manager, I'm always trying to do my best to educate my community on the best ways to communicate. I mean, this is universally true, you know. Uh, strangely enough, the mobile gaming audience uh, tends to be a little bit more random in terms of how they communicate. Like, literally, it doesn't matter what I post, I'm going to get feedback on everything. Uh, that's true of all games. A little bit more true of mobile. Uh, the level of personal vitriol has been much lower in mobile, which shocked me. Uh you know, again, coming from this sort of, you know, PC console background, it was very, very personal, very, very, uh, you know, angry. Uh, whereas mobile gamers, uh, have the same anger when they're frustrated. There's no difference there, but they tend to express it a lot less person. So, uh, that's been really, really, uh, refreshing and nice and makes me happy. Because uh, if I had 100 million people yelling at me the same way that, you know, PC games that I worked on yelled at me, uh, I would be much sadder of a person. Right, right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, that was actually going to be my big question was what's the, the community like in terms of vitriol? So thanks for answering that. Yeah, no, the PUBG mobile community is absolutely uh, fantastic. You know, I've been so beyond, you know, grateful to them for how welcoming they are, how excited they are to share their love of the game. Um, you know, I've worked with a lot of people, you know, on, you know, what's your amazing PUBG mobile stories? And people talk about, you know, connecting across the world and they're happy to share their stories and they're happy to, you know, just share their love of the game. I've gone into people's homes to film, you know, uh, you know, their experiences of PUBG Mobile, whether it's, you know, competitive play or a streamer who, you know, uh, met his girlfriend through playing PUBG Mobile and now they're living together. Um, it's really, really warm and welcoming. And of course, it's a community. 
you have the drama, you have the rivalries, you have, you know, sort of the regional rivalries, uh, but it's all much, much warmer than I expect. So, you know, I'm really grateful to the PUBG mobile community for being one of my the best communities I've ever worked with. Do you have any personal experiences that uh, come to mind as something that really, really stays with you? Um, so, uh, one, one of the, uh, my favorite personal favorite people that I work with is a small streamer whose name is, uh, Cleric Dragoon, you know? Uh, so, uh, Goon, as we all call him, uh, is a guy out in North Carolina. Uh, he likes to create videos for PUBG Mobile. He has, a he's sort of on the sp- smaller side of influencers, you know, uh, you know, the 10 to 20,000 follower range. Uh, but he just loves the game and he is one of the nicest, most humble, uh, most genuine people I've ever met. You know, uh, he and I are of a similar age. So we talk about the challenges of raising kids. Anytime there's drama in the community, he's like, Hey guys, uh, let's all just, you know, be friendly and sharing. I've watched him and, you know, he just, you know, anytime he asks a question, you know, he's not like most influencers. He's like, how do I get more views? He's like, you know, I just want to share this with more people so that they can all see how much I love this game. Uh, and so, you know, seeing that and we were able to, you know, uh, do a sponsorship with a PUBG mobile player who races in NASCAR. Uh, this guy named Noah Gregson, great racer, great young man. Uh, you know, we're going to be doing a, a little something for him coming up with him coming up, uh, for a second year anniversary. But, uh, you know, so I was able to send out, uh, Claire Dragoon, uh, and uh, one of our, uh, larger streamers and another, uh, small streamer named Rose Go Girl and, you know, get to see what it's like to race NASCAR and they could all play, uh, PUBG Mobile together and, they could uh, go race mini carts together and really creating those <laughs> sorts of experiences is super amazing. That's very cool. Huh? I wouldn't expect uh, that kind of a uh, experience for someone who is, you know, head community manager of uh, a giant company of, hey, we're going to meet these two people I've been talking to for a while and we're going to race go-karts and hear about their life about raising kids. That's cool. Yeah, no, I mean, it's all about the personal connections and finding ways to share those personal connections, not just with a small audience, but with a large audience. You know, the other day, uh, you know, I noticed that one an NBA player was tweeting about our game. And so, you know, I reached out to him. I'm like, Hey, how's it going? Uh, yeah, we're fans of you. You're fans of us, you know, and you know, just humble, people talking about video games, not NBA player and, you know, representative of one of the largest games in the world. It was, Hey, yeah, we like playing games together. You know, uh, there's a number of other celebrities I've talked to and I don't like to out them because, you know, that's their business, their brand. Uh, if they want to talk about, you know, playing PUBG mobile, but it's really humble people just, you know, loving games together. And that's what this is all about. This isn't about, you know, how can we, you know, make everything absolutely, you know, perfect from a mathematical model. It's about people playing games and having fun. In terms of where you think that the community management 
uh, industry is going. Do you think that there's any sort of innovation that'll be breaking through in the next, say, three years? Where do you where do you see the industry going? So right now, again, I've been doing this a long time. I've been, oof, you know, uh, more than a decade now uh, working in community management. Um, right now, there's a big focus in technical community management. You know, how do we, you know, get the best performance out of social? How do we get, uh, you know, the best, uh, you know, KPIs and the best numbers? And that's important, right? I mean, you want to get the uh, numbers out. Um, but so much of the focus now is on specific tools. And I think that, well, that's important. Uh, we need to have the pendulum swing back more towards the, how are we providing value for our players? How are we, you know, doing things that they're enjoying and really connecting on ways that are not necessarily trackable through, you know, a KPI you can graph and present at, uh, you know, uh, a board meeting. So, you know, again, it's fundamentally, uh, you know, it's about reaching people with messaging, but it's also about touching people's lives and having their feedback and their wants and desires becoming part of the development process. Uh, I'm lucky in that I have a dev team that obsessively reads Reddit, uh, and that lucky is half in air quotes. <laughs> uh, you know, the other half is definitely, it's it's awesome that, you know, I have a dev team who deeply, deeply cares about player experience. Sometimes I have to, like, you know, be like, yes, yes, I totally get it. But let's, let's pull back to the bigger picture for a second, guys. Uh, you know, but uh, they really, really care about the player experience. And so that's a way that's really, really easy to talk about that. But I think that community management, you know, we swung so hard towards the let's make sure we're doing everything technically correct and everything numerically justifiable. Because, you know, if you look at like sort of the prehistory of community, you know, there were a lot of just like, well, we're doing this because it feels good. And that's important but it's also important to get the you know the numbers and the science behind it too uh, i think we're going to see this pendulum for community management swing back more towards a healthy middle ground the other thing that i think we're going to see with community management is more and more that it's just going to be everywhere um anything that people are passionate about uh is going to be more and more an area for uh you know community management to flourish not just in these sort of games as a service uh, where we really started out as a discipline, uh, you know, because when people are passionate about it and they're sharing their experiences, that's real. And people respond well to reality. Uh, you know, um, traditional marketing is harder and harder and harder because we're all so blasé to anything we see. Uh, you know, generating real passionate relationships, uh, and building up your community is a great long-term both, you know, way to develop your brand and your, you know, product, whatever it is, uh, and for, you know, creating real viral, and I'm not talking about sort of the fake viral, let's get a video that, 
you know, gets 17 billion views, but the real viral marketing, which is people telling their friends, hey, I have a great experience with this. You should check it out, too. So uh, more more incentive for individuals to spread word of mouth as well, kind of. Yeah. If, you know, we could go with formal incentive or we could just deliver great services that makes them want to talk about it more. And community right, right, management right. is a really important part of delivering that great service. Do you think that there's going to be more uh, focus in the future to integrate communities into games? Or do you think that community managers will lead more development of games uh, in the future? Um, so more and more, it's uh, a huge part. So if you think about, you know, uh, games 10 years ago, you know, maybe had multiplayer, maybe didn't, uh, you know, nowadays, how many games are we playing on a regular basis that don't have some sort of multiplayer, uh, community component, mm. you know, uh, what makes games great for me, and this possibly might influence why I work in community management is how they not only is it a great experience, but it's a great experience that, you know, we're experiencing with other people. When I look back to my childhood, you know, gaming was about passing the controller uh, to the guy on my left. And we always played in groups, you know, uh, you know, it was you and your buddies hanging out and playing games. That was a really, really small community. Uh, you know, if we just played in a basement by ourselves, uh, never interacting with anybody else, either, you know, in person or in a game, they wouldn't be nearly as compelling. And so understanding how, you know, people play together, what people care about esports. I mean, esports is fundamentally a community activity, uh, you know, because it's not just about people playing. It's about the people watching all around the world and cheering for them. Uh, when with PUBG Mobile, it was an amazing experience. I was in the our uh, fall split uh, championship in Malaysia and sitting in a room with thousands of people hearing them chant for the different teams was absolutely just amazing, you know seeing especially our uh, Indian community, you know, just getting so into, you know, supporting their teams and, you know, chanting for their uh, favorite teams, you know, in all of our, uh, you know, uh, esports tournaments is just so amazing to see that passion, you know, and people who are fans, you know, I mean, it's not just your local teams, it's, you know, what teams are you fans with around the world? So, you know, Cloud9, uh, who has a very uh, well-established uh, and well-performing uh, PUBG Mobile team in North America, you know, they have fans from around the world who are like, yeah, no, I, I might live in Nepal or I might live in Mongolia, but I'm rooting for Cloud9. Uh, and it's uh, it, it's super amazing to see those connections. So I think really everything we see uh, in, you know, these sort of games that are more than just a single player experience or a single narrative is all about community. You know, it's how do we cl connect to form clans? How do we, you know, compete? How do we uh, communicate? Uh, these are all, uh, you know, super, super important aspects that are part game 
but they're really playing into a larger thing, which is the, the community of people who play the games. How can we, you know, facilitate voice communications between people who uh, speak different languages? Um, we did a tournament last year called the uh, PUBG Mobile Star Challenge. It was in uh, Taipei. And we invited streamers from around the world to play with esports teams from around the world. And there were teams where there was no common language. Uh, and so how did they, how were they able to use the communication tools in game to still be able to communicate and play together? And, you know, these experiences can then grow and spread out and help connect communities, maybe even when there's no language uh, sh- shared. That's all very interesting. I, I, I do understand that the, a lot of people are trying to make sure that the communication between games, especially as they go worldwide, can be done without, you know, a voice chat server because of those limitations. Uh, do you also have, uh, means of trying to do that in terms of like community management? Can you try to get people together, uh, if they don't speak the same language and still be able to share their love of the game with each other if there's that language barrier? So a lot of what we do is, you know, translating. So, for example, uh, we're having a big, uh, you know, second year anniversary stream, very community focused, very focused on, you know, just getting people to play PUBG Mobile together uh, who might not normally play together. Um, and so our uh, Brazilian community reached out and they said, look, you know, people are interested in watching. They may not necessarily speak English, but they're interested. When we talk about some of these videos with, you know, stories from around the world, you know, creating subtitles and, you know, providing access, you know, sharing the opportunities. And I mean, social media is so good at translation nowadays. I mean, you know, we all sort of, you know, you know, laugh at some of the bad translations that comes out from machine learning, but it's so much more available now. You know, uh, I released an image where I embedded a lot of text in the image, uh, you know, and I got a bunch of feedback from players saying, hey, this is great. This is important information we want to know. But we read your, uh, you know, social media, even though it's in English, in French or, you know, German or whatever language they speak. Could you put it, paste the text in so we can use auto translate? Um, you know, when it comes to community, uh, auto translation enables people to talk to one another. Uh, a lot of the feedback we get is not in English. Uh, that doesn't stop us from reading. That's very interesting. Huh. Uh, Ted, do uh, you have any other questions? Yeah. Uh, so, actually, like the reason that, that we got reached out to about this was um, there's like a new mode that came out, the colorblind mode, right? Yes. Yeah. It was uh, something that originated, again, directly from a player request, but it was something we looked at and we immediately knew that this was important for us to do. This was the right thing. Yeah, so that's I've actually been seeing a lot of people lately tweeting about um, accessibility in games and trying to. Um, and for those of you at home that aren't aware, accessibility doesn't just mean like PUBG is accessible from your phone, which means you can play it on a beach. Accessibility is like your people with various different disabilities, their ability to play the game. And um, I'm just kind of curious what your overall like thoughts and sentiments are on that. Um, Especially, like, a lot of people don't know about the adaptive devices that are, like, out there. Yeah, it's one of those areas that, you know, 
really we're trying to build institutional knowledge of. Um, so there's such diversity, you know, uh, when you talk about color vision impairment, which is the uh, big push that we did recently, um, color vision impairment is not sort of one of these monolithic, you know, things. There's all sorts of different types of color vision impairment, uh, but it affects this enormous number of people. So, you know, I, I think one of the uh, frequently quoted statistics, I'm not a scientist, so, you know, this is what I have read, is that, you know, in between four and six percent of, you know, the population of the world has some level of color vision impairment, you know. So that's sort of a lot of people, uh, you know, and what can we do? in terms of design to make a game that's enjoyable for those people. Those people want to play PUBG mobile. Uh, mm -hmm. Does the blue zone have to be blue? Does the red bombing zone have to be red? There's no reason for that. Right. Right. You know? So let's do the research and find ways that, uh, you know, uh, we can accommodate everybody to play PUBG mobile because if you want to play PUBG Mobile, we want to help you out. Uh, you know, it's great. It's great that people, you know, were playing uh, a game that was very difficult for them to play. Let's fix that. So in this particular instance, you know, I'll, I'll go back and tell this story. Uh, we released this new uh, arena team deathmatch mode uh, in the map called The Warehouse, right? And basically it's teams of 4v4. Uh, you respawn. You battle it out, first team to uh, 40 uh, kills wins, right? Really simple. Uh, but in PUBG Mobile, you have lots of different guns. You have lots of different attachments. So we provided people with some tables. Cool. You go, you select the items you want. Now, we can't put every different uh, attachment, every different, uh, you know, weapon in the game on these tables because, you know, just there's so much and we add more yeah. all the time. So we provided a selection and we provided the red dot site, but not the holographic site for, you know, a short range combat optic. Right now, the uh, holographic site in our game uh, had a green crosshair and the red dot has a, of course, a red dot. And this guy mm. said, hey, I'm colorblind. You know, could you throw out the holographic site as well as the red dot? so that I can see the reticle, hmm. you know, totally easy, reasonable request. We could have just thrown the, you know, holographic side out there, called it a day. Right. But this really got us focused on, you know, how we could, uh, you know, accommodate uh, these users in every aspect of the game, you know? And so that's really what it takes is, not just thinking about individual, you know, little uh, aspects, but taking that idea of, hey, we got this feedback about, you know, uh, this one aspect of the game. Let's think about it in terms of where it applies everywhere else in the game. And now that we've done this exercise, uh, the next step is institutionalizing this knowledge to make it so that Everything we do going forward with PUBG Mobile now takes into account color vision impairment. Um, and then the step after that is how do we expand this knowledge out entirely through uh, 
Tencent, you know, so that all of our projects moving forward can really say, let's take the best learnings that we uh, do. So that's obviously our goal. But, you know, that's just one uh, area. So we have to think about every sort of, uh, you know, accessibility issue, um, whether that's, you know, somebody who is hearing impaired or somebody who has physical challenges uh, and, you know, find out, uh, you know, what can we do? What is appropriate for this game? You know, so PUBG Mobile has a really, really extraordinarily customizable UI. You can uh, adjust the placement of almost any button in game. Um, you can, uh, you know, adjust its size. Uh, there's a number of other functionalities. So you could probably play the game one-handed. Uh, as a matter of fact, I know there are people who play the game one-handed. Uh, it's a little bit more difficult, uh, but there is... Uh, a way that you could do it, you know, for, uh, devices, we come to a question of appropriateness for this product, right? You know, because we don't want to betray what PUBG mobile is and we want to have as much as possible an even playing field where we don't have people say, you know, hooking up mice and keyboards because for your average person, that is going to make a big difference. The game needs to be competitive. This is fundamentally a competitive game. You know, it's 100% PvP. So, uh, you know, finding ways that it's appropriate. Similarly, you know, we have visual indicators in game for lots of sounds, uh, you know, that will help somebody who's hearing impaired. Um, but in uh, our hardcore mode, there are no visual indicators. Is it appropriate in that hardcore mode? The very definition of which is there's not some of these additional... Uh, you know, uh, features to, uh, you know, where can we accommodate and what's appropriate? So, you know, there's these sorts of things. But, you know, we're fortunate in that a lot more information about these sorts of accommodations uh, are becoming available and we can start to rely on player organizations. One organization that I've worked with in the past is a group called Able Gamers, who are really helpful in, you know, giving us advice and early feedback on like, hey, this works, this doesn't work, or you may not never have thought about this or that. Uh, so, you know, uh, you know, just again, giving us that ability to accumulate that uh, store of knowledge. And I think that, you know, when we think about games, this isn't a niche uh you know entertainment medium anymore games is if not the biggest one of the biggest uh entertainment mediums out there in terms of you know how many people are participating and you know the size of the industries uh games in many countries most countries are bigger than you know movies and tv uh you know in a lot of cases bigger than music so you know now that we've you know, progress beyond our humble roots of, you know, uh, and I'm going to uh, invoke a very sad stereotype, but nerds playing in their parents' houses, uh, because I was definitely that kid. Um, you know, we're for adults, we're for everyone. And so how do we uh, develop that? Another area of accessibility that uh, we don't often think about is economic accessibility. You know, it's great that, you know, you're great game runs uh perfectly on the 
uh, newest generation of flagship phones. Uh, but, you know, how do we make this game accessible to everybody who wants to play it as much as we can without compromising the uh, actual game itself? And so that's another area of accessibility we're really looking into is optimizing how well our game runs on these sort of more uh, accessible devices to promote accessibility for a game for people everywhere. Yeah. Uh, so the, 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 the question I always have when it comes to accessibility is like, there's, there's always the concern that by, for a company like Tencent or uh, Bluehole or anyone big, uh, the question of accessibility is is more of a question of like, am I even thinking about this? But for a lot of developers, it's more of a question of of budget. Like, you know, can we even afford to think about all the different methods of accessibility? Which is why a lot of times, um, like peripheral companies or third party uh, companies will come to the forefront. So a lot of you know, like you're saying, is that you see people playing PUBG with one hand. Well, there are some like adaptive devices that will uh, help you do that. Um, so my question is, do you think that the big companies, there's an onus on them to support some of these third party developers that are making these accessibility devices to then support, uh, the community that some of the smaller developers can't afford to like make modes for? So, you know, uh, I I think that certainly it, it is our obligation to lead the way in terms of accessibility. Uh, again, very much on a game by game basis, you know, because some things just don't work well, uh, you know, for a specific product. Um, you know, uh, when it ta- comes to a game, you have to think about, you know, what works well in that game. What can you do? But a lot of it is just best practice, you know. So uh, nobody says there's developers so small that they should ignore good UI. Right. You know, right. <laughs> Uh, so it really behooves. I don't know, man. I've played a bunch of games on itch.io and a lot of those have pretty bad UI. <laughs> yes, but not, it, it's not because they should have bad UI. It's just because they do have bad UI. Yeah, exactly. You know? Um, there's lots of resources out there for how to make good UI. There's lots of really publicly available stuff that's available to the smallest developers. I've worked with teams of, you know, 10 people. Uh, you know, making a game that's pretty, pretty far down there on the small end. Uh, there are smaller teams out there. Don't get me wrong, but you know, uh, pretty much even on the smallest teams I've worked on, people are constantly thinking, is this UI intuitive? You know, is this UI something that is, you know, workable for our customers? Um, it's not that big a step, you know, to say, is this UI friendly to people with color impairment? You know, uh, you know, it's, it's getting these best practices out there. And so hopefully, you know, as part of a, a, a larger company and a bigger development team, and the PUBG mobile team is absolutely massive. Like I, I, every time I, I, you know, try and research something new, I'm meeting new people and I'm like, Oh, Hey, I, I did not know you were here. Uh, let me learn about what you do. Uh, you know, but, uh, you know, if we can do it, and make it easy for people to see what we do first, uh, that will make it easier for smaller developers as they experience our games and they experience what we do and what we've made available. 
they can incorporate that into uh, their development practices as well. I mean, games is yeah. such a collaborative industry. You know, everybody watches everything everybody else does and says, hey, I like that. What about that would work in, you know, the game that I'm working on? I think it's, you know, it's pretty funny great. that you're trying to use people ripping off of PUBG for a positive change. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, so, uh, you know. That was a great yeah, joke. I, mean, I don't know why I didn't get a bigger laugh. I think I thought that was a good one. It, it, I've been in the industry a long time. We're all stepping on the shoulders of giants, you know. <laughs> I know. Years ago, I worked on a game called EverQuest. That game, oh, man. probably slightly ripped off over the years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I um, actually did a uh, interview with the new uh, head of Darkpaw, who's now doing EverQuest. Holly's a great person. I really like Holly. Yeah, it seems like um, it's. It was so funny because when they when the uh, the people that are do their PR reached out to me, I was like, EverQuest two is like I can't believe they're still running EverQuest one and two. Like people are still playing both of those. I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And then I checked it out and I was like, this is like there's something still charming about these, you know? Yeah, but you know, it's you know as long as it's not direct ripoffs, you know, I'm all for it. You know, we see something we like and we're like. How can we incorporate that into, you know, our cool take on that experience? Yeah. You know? Well, I, I always, uh, I, the, the accessibility question is one that I always have like a personal affinity to. Um, like one of my, the, the friends of the family, uh, he is pretty significantly physically impaired in, in a skiing accident. Um, and he has some movement in his hands, but he's a big gamer and there's like a very, very large, uh, gate to the games that he's accessible to, to play. And um, so he's like big into civilization because it doesn't matter how long it takes him to take his turns, but shooters are, are more difficult for him. But he did uh, play the, 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 this is why I was, you know, most interested in having this conversation. Cause for a while he did play uh, a PUBG using a, an adaptive controller. And um, there was like an, an add on that he could add where he would pre set his loadouts. And then it was like a macro that would play in the game if he walked over the attachments that it would just like automatically choose those ones and not choose other ones. And uh, I think he actually got like banned at some point because it was considered a hack, even though he was doing it because he like couldn't move his hands. And, um, and then they unbanned him when he emailed them. There was like a thing that he did. And anyways, that, that story has always just been stuck out to me as one of those stories that we don't often hear in the gaming space. That's like so dominated by who got banned on Twitch, you know, and uh, I think we should be telling more stories like that than the ones about Dr. Disrespect, you know, filming in a bathroom or something. Yeah. Uh, ironically, and I, I don't encourage this behavior, but, you know, my users do frequently talk about playing PUBG Mobile in the bathroom. <laughs> uh, but seriously, uh, you know, to, to dive back in, I want to hear from him. So if you could do me, me a favor and give him my email address, I would love to talk to him. Yeah, you know, because that is the solution is talking and learning from one another. So uh, if he is willing to uh, reach out, I would love to talk to him about his experiences. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, hit him up and I'll, I'll let him know. Yeah, that's that's really useful. You know, and if people have these, you know, again, our community is our biggest, biggest resource, you know, because they can tell us things that we will never think of. There are a hundred million of them. There are, you know, over six hundred million people who have played PUBG Mobile. Uh, 
you know, their collective experiences are so much more than ours that, you know, really we can utilize them. Uh, I remember years ago I was, again, working in MMOs, and there was a guy who was legally blind who played our game and raided at the highest level. Uh, and it was great talking to him and learning, you know, uh, what he did and how he did it. And, you know, obviously that degree of visual impairment is very, very difficult to solve, uh, in terms of accessibility, but understanding what he did and what were some of the things that, uh, you know, we could at least keep in mind was, really really valuable and it was really cool just talking to him to understand that this guy loved our game so much that he literally would have his grandchild uh you know hang out with him to help see things that he couldn't uh and you know uh was able to participate and play in the game you know voice chat meant that he didn't have to read typing so that was you know huge for him and understanding that you know maybe we couldn't build a game that was completely uh, adaptive to his needs, but we could understand how somebody who had some of the similar issues might be impacted by some of our decisions, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and so, you know, the more we do, the better we get, the better off everyone is, you know, yeah. this is just win, win, win for everyone. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, I think it's the, as the conversation grows about, accessibility like the i think that we're like in the gaming landscape right now is due for another like shift in conversation i always look at like the cycles of um not only gaming trends but like the the gaming community and conversations and things like that and it, it seems like it goes in, in waves of what the next big conversation is and it seems like right now we're in a in a lull in, in the actual conversations about, I don't know if you remember this. I mean, I'm, I'm, I actually, you know, based on the fact, how old's your oldest kid? You said my, my daughter is 18. So I'm guessing you're slightly older than me, unless you had a daughter at 12, um, which you might've, I don't know, live your best life. I don't know. YOLO. But, uh, so you, you probably have seen like, I, Oh, you worked on EverQuest. So there, therefore you're older than me. There you go. Um, but I've seen the, the, the conversations and games, really kind of ebb and flow uh and for like like you know 10 years ago our games art that was a big conversation that came out and to kind of push the gaming sphere forward and then about seven years ago there was a conversation about like journalistic integrity there was positives and negatives to that which we're not going to go into right now and um now i've seen i'm happy not to get emails from those people anymore yeah i know right seriously uh it's, it, that was a, so just side tangent that was like around the time i started doing all this not because of that but just like happenstantially um the journalism thing you know just like my first couple articles here and there it was a really weird time to be alive um but uh that's what i'm saying is that now it's like it seems like we're uh the only conversation happening in the gaming sphere is like is e3 gonna get canceled forever z's and like I, that's just not a conversation that i find particularly compelling <laughs> and uh but i always am like okay so what's the next big conversation i think that you know if we're talking about accessibility i'm starting to see the ripples i'm starting to see two ripples right now first off i'm starting to see ripples of more foreign development there's a ton of studios popping up all over the world that are making games of equitable quality to stuff that used to be like hegemonically United States and uh, Japan based. Um, 
And uh, the other one is accessibility. Like just just two days before this interview, um, which we're filming on uh, March 18th, I got an email about uh, a game that was predominantly designed to be based on sound rather than sight. So it's being designed for gamers that are visually impaired. And I was like, okay. And I'm starting to see a little bit more of this. So, you know, I go to these uh, industry events. We were at uh, PAX East recently and we were at, there's some, some indie areas where the games were specifically designed in mind to be games for a certain demographic, you know, like, okay, this game can be played by people that are physically impaired. And this one can be played by people that are um, visually impaired. Uh, Remy and Remy was at DreamHack and they had the Klaxo radio hour there, which is a game that can pretty much be played by uh, the, by people with absolutely no vision because it's all audio based. And I, I, I think that that's an interesting space for the conversation of gaming to go because so often we're, we're focused on new tech that we, we very rarely think about how we're not laterally thinking within the tech that we already have. That was my long winded speech on this, but yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, to me, this is, it's one of those things that it's controversial and that's dumb. Uh, And let, let me explain why. So, Anytime we develop new things and new capability and new ways to include more people, we're helping out gaming as a whole because it's not just benefiting people who have, you know, different challenges in playing games. These same ideas benefit everyone. So to bring it back to PUBG Mobile again, right, we're playing on phones, uh, phones, some tablets, but mostly phones. Um, and so, you know, auto pickup of different items and a configurable auto pickup of different items is really, really helpful. So I don't have to click on, uh, you know, a weapon when I run over it. Game's like, oh, you don't have a gun? Yeah, yeah. you, you want to pick up the gun. I'm just going to pick up the gun for you. And I can mm-hmm. set how much ammunition I want to pick up for that firearm. I can set how many smoke grenades and if I want to pick up smoke grenades. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's a feature which was born out of accessibility. Right. You know, uh, that helps all gamers, right? So anything we do that helps one group accessibility, the benefits of that radiate out to everyone. And so yeah. people who say, oh, I don't have time to think about accessibility. I'm like, you don't have time not to think about accessibility uh, well, think- because you're not making the game you could. Yeah, I think that the the question of accessibility, when people say that they don't like to or don't have time to think about it, I think that the main fear that most people have is that uh, they're going to become uh, the the centerpiece for some kind of uh, debate. And and we're, we're living in a culture right now that's so debate averse. And I, I think that a lot of people, especially indie devs, especially with the the, the vitriolic social media climate, are just afraid that for either like for either side it's just it just seems like people can kind of lash out at developers for whatever the fuck reason they want to nowadays and if you're making a game that's designed to be accessible people will just call you a pansy liberal snowflake on social media and it's like well what do you do about that and i know that you like you're 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 a veteran of the industry you've probably been been called worse things and learned to get used to it but an indie developer that's out there for the first time might not be have that level of thick skin and it might actually like hurt them it's crazy it's like the words that people say online can hurt people wow oh yeah no no it's it's 
it's one of those things. Uh, I've spent years training developers on how to read comments. Uh, because when it's something that you've poured your heart and soul into, and let me tell you, developers are enormously passionate about their creations and how they're received. They're not making this just because it's art. They're making this because they want people to enjoy it, to appreciate it, you know? And they do it, and the instant anything they do gets out into the, uh, you know, the, the public eye, it's ripped into shreds in a way that is very accessible to the developers. I mean, every decision they make is, you know, cut up and dissected. And it's why I believe in, you know, community management, uh, partially because it's not my baby. Right. Uh, I love PUBG Mobile. I love being part of PUBG Mobile, but ultimately it's not my decision what we do. I just advise. So I can go out and be more neutral when I read the comments and pull out the salient features without having to have the same degree of emotional involvement at people's reactions. I can go out and look at it and say, okay, cool. They like this. They didn't like that without it being something that I struggled, enslaved, and put my whole heart and soul into for six months of my life to immediately be told I'm a bad person. Yeah, you're a bad person for doing this. You yeah. specifically. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know. Uh, you know, uh, making games is hard. It is not easy. Uh, what I ultimately tell people is do what you're proud of, and if you're doing what you're proud of and you're doing the best that you can, if you're proud of your decision in every way, then it's the right call and don't be afraid of a debate. No. No, I mean, that's like, that's a good point. It's a hard road to walk. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that um, at the end of the day, like, you know, the, the another reason that a lot of people shy away from accessibility, I think, is another the same reason why they shy away on, um, you know, like LGBTQ inclusion and stuff is that you're you're always afraid that you're going to miss the progressive of today is 10 years from now. The, the person who's behind the times, it's kind of a perpetual fight to stay on top of uh, what's. Of, of relevancy and that's a struggle that i think everyone feels in whatever group that they're a part of um it's it's i always like to look at it as being in in in, in part of the I'm, I'm part of the liberal meta game and if i don't you know stay on top of what's the important talking points right now it's like i, I didn't learn my jungle path for league of legends or something um and that's a funny way to look at it but it's, it's true like you know you wouldn't it, it's funny that we are able to put so much effort towards perfecting our hobby which is gaming, and we're not willing to spend that level of energy to perfect our self as a member of like a real society. And I know it's like the joke is that we live in a society, quote, quote, but like I, I, I do find it funny that a lot of I, I see uh, that that trend in. I, I agree that it's hard to keep up on what's the newest social media topic, what's the newest level of inclusion that we're trying to include people on, but I think it's an important part to being like, a good person trying to interact with other people in a landscape that's not just you and recognizing that it's not just you. And so when I hear about something like accessibility being programmed into games, it's like, yeah, that's, that's so obvious. And the fact that uh, more people don't do it, it, it shows more of a shortcoming in how our personal thought process is, is coming about when we're trying to develop our, our ideas and 
that's kind of why I wanted to have this conversation about accessibility. So, you know, thank you for, for being able to level with me on this. I, I really appreciate it. Right. I mean, to me, it's, it's something that, you know, it was a personal passion of mine. I was very lucky that I'm working with a team who is personally passionate about it as well. Uh, I, I mean, literally customer said it. I reached out to the development team. They're like, heck yeah. And we want to do a lot more. We don't want to just put the hollow site. We don't want to take the easy way to, uh, you know, tackle this problem. We want to do more because our players deserve it and our game deserves it. And yeah. so, you know, I think that that's really the best way to think about it. And I'm, I'm lucky that, uh, the PUBG mobile team is, yeah. you know, uh, completely on board because I've had these same discussions at, uh, other studios and, you know, people are like, Oh, it's hard. And I'm like, is it hard or do you just not want to do it? <laughs> is, is it hard or are you just being lazy? <laughs> And yeah. it's not, it's, 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 I would, I would hate to say it's being lazy, but I think it's more just thinking within your, per, uh, within your sort of paradigm rather than trying to broaden your paradigm. You know, right. it's, it's and, very and, uh, easy to not think outside yourself. Right. And the, par- the paradigm is that these people aren't me and I don't feel that they're, you know, a big enough of a demographic to warrant it. And you start viewing people as a commodity as opposed to the, the player. That's one of the things I always try to hit on here is that, uh, in this podcast specifically, is that as much as we would re-rail against big corporate business decisions, games are business, but at the same time, uh, people don't get into making games because they're trying to be billionaires. They want to make games so that people can have fun. And if you lose sight of that, then I, I don't know. It's, it's just always feels like, uh, I, I don't really like the term gamer first in the terms of like the Steam versus EGS debate. I don't really care about all that. What I do care about is developers losing sight of why they're doing what they're doing. And we're all here to have fun, you know? Yeah. No, I mean, if you lose sight of that, you know, it's, uh, you're going down the wrong path, you know, there are definitely, uh, mobile games out there that are super predatory. Uh, Mm -hmm. and I'm like, Ooh, well, don't want to work there, uh, which is fine. I, I have that luxury that I can be like, well, cool. I don't have to. Uh, I can work with an organization that I'm proud to represent, right. uh, you know, uh, but, you know, it's about making good games that are fun. Like, you know, when we talked about what is the theme for our second anniversary on PUBG Mobile, you know, uh, we picked Together We Play, you know, mm-hmm. and because that's really what it's about. It's about playing games together. Uh, that's mm-hmm. what makes our game great. That's what makes most games great. You know, yeah. uh, you know, e- even the solo single player games I play, I get online and talk about them with other players. You know, yeah, that's, no, exactly. Uh, that's playing games together. No, yeah, especially as we get older, it's like I don't have the the schoolyard to go to anywhere to talk about games. Like, well, actually, funny enough, you know, I run a fucking gaming website, so my, my, my schoolyard is my, is my goddamn website, but I have to, like, you know, I have to have those, those online connections to, to not only talk about my passion, but also, like, to stay sane. <laughs> uh, anyways, um, either of you guys have any more questions? No, I think I'm good. Really? 
I am so sorry. I was muted. Uh, No, I want to say this was a really cool conversation. It was really great to hear all your answers. Well, hey, you know, uh, thank you guys so much for uh, having me on. Uh, Hopefully I don't, uh, you know, bore everyone to tears. I know I tend to talk a lot. Uh, I was doing an interview with one of our streamers uh, a month ago, and it was just like he and I were both talkers. And it was like, oh, at some point we got to stop this. Yeah. I uh, uh, no, I, I prefer this because it's um, sometimes you get an indie dev that like just only can string six words together at once, and I feel like it's just I'm doing an interview with myself. I, I've given those press tours, so I sympathize. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what, man? Uh, once again, just thank you so much for for being on and talking about this. Um, and, you know, you can find PUBG Mobile on pretty much any mobile device. And if you want to, uh, you can buy one of those. Uh, I've seen these online, but they're basically like keyboards that will touch the, they, they sell them at like some like, uh, knockoff stores. You can buy these, like, they're just, they're just like the WASD buttons and whatever, just that, that part of the keyboard. And it like goes into a little mechanical thing that'll push your phone in those areas. So you can play with a mouse and keyboard if you want. Um, not that I would recommend that. Maybe that's not the way it's intended to play, but, uh, if you have to, because of adaptability, go ahead. Um, anyways, the point I'm making is that you can play PUBG mobile on any mobile device. Not anyone. Are they, what about those? Like Huawei phones or the ones from China? Can you play it on those? Let me, let me tell you, I have a Huawei mate 30 pro, I think. It is literally the most beautiful and most powerful phone I have ever seen. It is absolutely amazing. But even on very uh, modest devices uh, like PUBG Mobile would run, we also have uh, PUBG Mobile Lite, which is designed for people with more limited internet connections uh, and devices, you know, with like a gig and a half of RAM. Yeah. You know, uh, am I the first interviewer from America that's known what a Huawei phone is? Uh, generally not something I get asked about too often, <laughs> but, uh, they make some beautiful phones, uh, you know, uh, the only reason I know about it, the, the, the only reason I know about it is that my girlfriend has one and she's from Poland and, uh, she was like, yeah, it probably sends all my data directly to the government, but it was pretty cheap and it's a really nice phone. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Um, but PUBG and PUBG Mobile playable on all Huawei devices and also the other ones too. Um, so go ahead and, and check it out if you have it. Uh, is there any kind of events going on right now that people can check out? So right now uh, we're celebrating our second year anniversary game. So there's a ton of stuff going on. The theme of it is sort of around uh, retro gaming. Uh, you know, So we're acknowledging some of the, the classics that helped get us to where we are today. Uh, so... Uh, you know, you can go in and play that. Uh, of course, you know, there's all sorts of other stuff going on. We have a big uh, live stream going on on the 20th. So probably uh, you'll be able to catch the VOD by the time you hear this, I'm guessing. Our 21st. On the 20th? 21st. Uh, this will be going live probably on the 20th. So so it uh, will be on Saturday. My bad. Oh. Sorry, I, I've been uh, so neck deep in uh, planning for this. Uh, but there's a ton of events going on in game right now that'll still be running, uh, you know, really celebrating the anniversary. But there is no better tar- start playing than uh, right now. Everybody go out and download. 
Yep. Go download the game. It's, uh, I believe, free. Yeah, free to play. Okay, uh, cool. Do not sell power at all. Uh, everything is cosmetic. Uh, that is another way we uh, really focus on accessibility. We want the game to be about how you play, not yeah. uh, you know about how much you spend. So yeah. uh, that's another really nice thing the team has done. Oh, cool. Thank you. Well, that's a, that's a good thing to know. So it's free. You don't, you don't pay to win. You pay to look all blingy. Um, hopefully you can buy a set that turns you entirely metallic gold. Cause that's how I like to play all my games. Uh, like a giant Emmy award running around cause I'm a weirdo. Um, but yeah, so go ahead and check it out. And guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, this has been episode 21, I believe, of the Real Professional Podcast. It's been great to see you guys just tuning in week after week. Um, last episode, we had Airdorf on from Airdorf Games. He made the Faith series. So if you haven't checked that out yet, please go do. We've had some really great, great guests on, and they just keep getting better. So go ahead and subscribe to us on SoundCloud or iTunes. I don't even know what service we're promoting ourselves on anymore. Things are... So crazy. But you know what you can always find us is on Twitter. So at dreadxp.com or on the website, just dreadxp.com. Uh, and uh, yeah, so go ahead and follow us on one of those to get updates on the newest stuff we have. We have the Indie Spotlight series. That's been really cool. We got 40 videos out of packs. So check out all those interviews. Uh, we got all these editorials coming out. We just got tons of stuff. So just check it out. And um, thank you guys so much for listening. And uh, Eric, once again, thank you so much for coming on. And I will see you all next week. Bye. My long friend, time friend, and she's a friend. She's been my friend in and out of public life. My long friend. My long, long friend. Long, long, long friend. She's been my friend. She's been my friend. friend.